Let's head back there to Genesis chapter 1. We learn from the Scriptures something very significant about people, about humanity. God said, let us make man in our image. So God created man in His image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. When God created the heavens, when He created the earth. There was a beauty. There was a, a uniqueness. There was a type of artistry that could only come from the divine maker and creator. But he didn't make plants in his image. We're not just a high-functioning animal, although it, it seems like there are certainly uh, some promotions to say that. Now, we're more than a high-functioning animal. And even the greatness of how he separated the lights and you had night and you had day and, and, and all the magnificent ways that God worked in creating this universe, there was something unique, something that stands out when it came to mankind. Because it says that God created man in his image. That he made you and he made me in his image, in his likeness. So what, is the, what does that mean? Well, of course, that could be a, a whole message looking at the distinctness of that. But the point is simply this. God has created you in a specific way to hear His voice, in a specific way to connect with Him. Um, Guys, as much as we love our animals, they have instinct, but they don't have image. They don't have the image of God. God has a special relationship with us that he has designed that we may walk with him as it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the coolness of the day in the garden that wasn't by accident it's part of God's plan now turn me to Genesis chapter 5 starting at verse 1 we read this is the written account of Adam's line when God created man he made him in the likeness of God yeah we read that earlier (laughs) He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. See how there's a transition? How there's a change? When God created Adam and Eve, he made them in his image. When Adam and Eve were able to have a son, It doesn't say made in God's image. It says in His image, in Adam's image. What has happened? In in this time frame, there was a very significant event. Uh, We we refer to it as the fall of mankind. We call it sin. It is where the image of God is not erased, but defaced. It is where the image of God is is broken, but not destroyed. It's, It's marred. I had a teacher in seminary, and he used the description in talking about the image of God in our lives. He said, guys, it's like a milk bucket that you take outside. If you grew up on a farm, you set a milk bucket out on a limb, and you step back a bunch of paces, and you take your shotgun, and you use it as a target. And he says, fill that old milk bucket with holes from shotgun pellets. He says, "Uh, it's still a milk bucket, but it's not going to hold any milk. 
Now it's got holes in the bucket. So although it's marred, it's still a milk bucket. And our image has been marred because of sin. We have been separated from a holy God. It's not as it's meant to be because of the entrance of the sinful nature which alienated us and separated us from God. But we are still created in the image of God. And and that's what the work of the cross is about. Jesus brings us and, and he makes us in relationship with God as it's meant to be by the way of the cross. And, but that image, uh, it's been marred and there has to be a coming to God. It talks about in uh, Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. When it talks about the heart, it, it talks about that inner prompting, that voice of the Spirit of God who speaks to us. And you're to guard that. You're to take that seriously. You're to be in a listening mode. You're to be ready to hear what He has to say so that you can follow Him. Let's look at an example of that in the prophet Elijah. Turn me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, Chapter 18. Elijah is one of my favorite biblical characters. And uh, chapter 18 has one of these great showdowns. It's kind of like the old westerns. Any of you guys like the old westerns? The real old ones, you know, you had the black hats and you had the white hats and... The white hats were going to beat the guys in the black hats. <laughs> What's well, pretty tough here because uh, Elijah's the guy wearing the white hat, and there's like 700 false prophets wearing the black hats. So you talk about a gunfight that didn't appear to be fair. There it was. But yet there was this showdown. Man, I love the picture. It's on Mount Carmel. God's talking to the people, and the people are following these false prophets who are worshiping false gods. And there's Elijah as he's standing in the power of God. And there are all these crazy prophets of false gods. And Elijah says, okay, guys, you build an altar to your God. I'll build an altar to the one true God. And the one who shows himself true will will bring fire down and burn up the altar, the sacrifice. He says, you guys go first. I love the picture. They, they go crazy, man. They put their altar together, 700 of them. They're screaming. They're yelling. They're trying to get the attention of their gods as they cry out to them. Show yourself true. Nothing happens. It says this goes on for a few hours, and they, they get so desperate they begin to cut themselves and finally, they're exhausted. And then it's Elijah's turn. He builds his altar. He even puts a trench around the altar. And he has buckets of water dumped and dumped and dumped on it to where it fills the trench. And then he humbles himself before a holy God. And he prays. And he says, God, Jehovah, prove yourself to be true. And man, I love it. Fire comes down from heaven. Just torches that sacrifice. And it even dries up all the water that had made a little moat from all the water dumped on it. And there was no doubt that God was the one true God. What a victory that was. Then he gets word from Jezebel, the most evil woman in the world at that time. And her husband, who was afraid of her too, the king, Ahab, gets word, Elijah, what you've done is a horrible thing. If you remain alive... He says, I'll go down to my grave. I'm going to hunt you down, buddy. And your history. 
that's my translation. Didn't quite say it like that in Scripture. So Elijah, he's exhausted. So what does he do? I mean, he's gone through this incredible battle. He's seen God work, but he's, a, he's tired. He's exhausted. He's afraid, and so he, he runs. He runs to the southernmost part of the kingdom, a place called Beersheba. And, and there he's tired, and, and an angel of the Lord comes and ministers to him, and he, he goes, and, and he runs some more. And he ends up in this cave. And in the cave, he has a, one of those parties where it's called a pity party. No one wants to go to it. You know, you don't want to show up. And he's having a pity party. He said, oh, God, I've been faithful to you. And I'm all alone. And I'm abandoned. And they're going to hunt me down. And they're going to hurt me. You know, I just hear him. The whining is on full blast. But there's that inner prompting spirit. Let's look at First uh, Kings chapter 19. I want to go down to verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. There's this prompting. There's this, we call it an intuition. There's insight coming from the Lord. Go outside. I'm coming, Elijah. Let's see what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. Man, hurricane force winds, rocks flying everywhere. It's impressive. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Mm, That's impressive. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And the King James says, still small voice. And that, that's where, you know, our whole idea of listening to that still small voice. Um, one translation, one biblical scholar says, a gentle rustling. Just a soft, gentle rustling. That could easily go unnoticed, but it caught Elijah's attention because he was tuned in to God's voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes the Lord comes in the mighty wind. Sometimes he comes in the fierceness of the fire. Sometimes he comes in a mighty earthquake. And sometimes he comes in a gentle rustling. In this case, the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit, the gentle rustling, it spoke to Elijah and and moved Elijah and gave him courage and gave him strength to go forward in faith. And of course, he went and and he got Elisha and and he found strength as he listened. I thought of Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. 
Sometimes we just need to be still. The busyness just kind of drives us crazy. And, and we're not in a position where we can hear the, hear the gentle rustling, the still small voice, the gentle whisper of God. Because it's just so hectic. And sometimes we just need to, to, need to put ourselves in a position to listen, to hear. It's where Elijah was. The cave is where we need to be. Um, there's a PBS special on the cheetah. Uh, so no, the, the cheetah gets the claim of being the fastest animal can run. Of 70 miles an hour. But here's the deal. The cheetah has a very small heart. And so it can only sustain a speed of 70 miles an hour for a very short period of time. So in other words, when the cheetah sees its prey, he has to have the plan ready. Because when he takes off with that burst of speed, he better get the prey or that's it. And so he has to be very methodical and very careful before he starts that burst of speed. Guys, it's, it's not merely how hard we work. It's not even merely how smart we work. It's the fact that we are in connection with a living God so that our hearts are big enough to be ready for the movement of the Spirit of God so that we might hear that gentle rustling, so that we might be prepared to act upon that gentle, small voice, that, that whisper so that we might be prepared, so that we might be ready. Uh, I want to look at some examples of this. Um, we're going to look in Acts chapter 20. Moving from Elijah to... We're going to look at two examples, or three examples of the Apostle Paul before we close this message on the Holy Spirit's inner promptings. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, it's a very difficult time for Paul. He's getting ready to say goodbye to some dear Christian people, leaders in the church at Ephesus. And he comes to them, and uh, I can't imagine the depth of the emotion. I mean, these guys are family to him, and he shares his heart with them. So, uh, verse 22 of Acts 20, he's, he's basically shared with them how he's been faithful to share what Jesus laid upon his heart. He comes to 22 and he says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He has heard that gentle rustling of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit has said, Paul... A difficult time is ahead. Paul, as you move forward, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be hardships, imprisonment. But I want you to see his response. It's, it's so beautiful. Verse 24, he says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Man, he's got tunnel vision. He says, I hear the Spirit of God, but I, the joy set before me is to be able to finish this. To take the gospel where God wants me to take it. That's my heart. I, I thought of Philippians 1.21, where he said, For me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's Paul's heart. Another example, uh, Acts chapter 27. This has to do with a shipwreck. Paul set sail for Rome. And uh, God speaks to him that it's going to be a difficult voyage. 
And so he shares uh, with the leadership there. Uh, look at verse 10. Paul says, so Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Paul had heard that gentle rustling. He, he, he wanted to share with the people that, that, that God had revealed to him there's going to be difficulty. Verse 11, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And as you read down through here, it says, you know, they take off, they set sail. There's a gentle breeze. But before long, there's hurricane force winds. And there's disaster. And there's fear. And they start throwing stuff overboard. And, and there's just chaos, and there's despair. And it says that they lost hope. And, and then God ministered to Paul. He sent an angel and said, your lives will be spared. And so Paul shared with him, and he said, the ship's not going to make it, but God's promise will be spared. And, and this time they listened, and, and they were spared, and they ended up on this island. And the whole point is just that Paul was in tune with God. He was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He heard the message. It was proclaimed, and through his courage, through that constant relationship, the people were spared. There, there was a deliverance that came about through that. Through that. Now, one last example, and we'll close uh, with a, a real-life example of modern times. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, this particular passage has to do with what we call uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, of course, we don't know exactly what that thorn is. We just know it provided a great deal of difficulty and suffering for Paul as he sought to follow God. And he describes how, in 2 Corinthians 12, how he prayed for the thorn to be taken away. He was real clear before God, you know, this is difficult. Uh, Give me strength. And uh, God had said, hey, you got this because you have been given such great revelations that it was necessary. And uh, three times it says he, he pleaded. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe... There is some type of thorn, some type of torment in your life that seems almost more than you can bear. Or maybe you're about to face such a time or coming out of such a time. (laughs) And the difficulty, it it just kind of like drains the life out of you and your hope. And this was where Paul was. And, and I think this, you know, we get weak sometimes. And and, that, and I want you to notice here, um, verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But verse 9, he says, But he said to me, something happened. There was a communication between, oh, holy God and Paul. There was... The Holy Spirit speaking. There was a gentle rustling in the midst of his pain. And, and notice what he said. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Spirit spoke, and the servant heard. And I love the response. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The challenge is to hear the voice of God. 
The challenge is to place my heart in a position to hear the gentle whisper, to not miss the gentle rustling. The challenge is to get a bigger heart that I may be prepared when God speaks. It's the challenge. Um, I close with a true story of a pastor, Charles McCoy. And I heard this story from a, a Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers. And, and Swindoll told the story of, of uh, Charles McCoy. He said that uh, Charles McCoy, 72 years old, pastor of a church in mighty Oyster Bay, little town. They were forcing him out. Charles, you're 72. You've got to retire. You've had a long, faithful ministry. You've been a good servant, but it's time to leave. Charles was devastated. He was a man who loved education. He had seven degrees from universities. Two of them were doctorates. <laughs> he, he was broken. About a week later, he meets a pastor that was in the United States from India, pastor who served in India. And they uh, carried a conversation, and Charles invited him to come to the church and speak. Yeah. He agreed. He came. He spoke. Charles was moved. Um, and uh, the pastor said, now it's your turn. You have to come to India and speak. Oh, oh I, I couldn't do that. They're, they, I, I, they're sending me down to Florida to a, a place to spend the rest of my life. It's, it's time for me to retire. It, it, you know, it, it's time for me to, to, to stop this. And the Indian pastor looked at him and he said, where I live, people respect men with gray hair, white hair. He said, I think you should go. Charles prayed about that and it wouldn't leave. Within him was this conviction he was to go to India. So he came back to the leaders of his church and he said, I think God's leading me not down to that retirement home in Florida, but to India. Charles, um, are you thinking straight? That sounds really dangerous. Are you sure that's what you want to do? I mean, that does not sound safe. And, And listen, this is his response. This is classic. Well, I reckon it's as close to heaven from there as it is from here. And so Charles McCoy, he got his passport. He got a ticket to India. And uh, then when he landed, he discovered at the airport his luggage was lost. So all he had were the clothes on his back and possessions in his pockets. And he thought, well, I don't know anybody here. I don't know what else to do. So he reached in his pocket and he had the address of some missionaries there in in Bombay. And so he got in the streetcar and headed to that address. When he got out of the streetcar, he noticed that someone had stolen his wallet and his passport. So now here he was at the residence of the missionaries, really not having anything. He knocked on the door. He talked to the missionaries, and uh, he, he explained the situation. And, and they said, oh, that pastor, uh, he went to the United States. I don't think he's coming back. What? No, I, I, I don't think he's coming back. I think he's going to stay. Well, okay. 
Um, he said, well, uh, Charles said, well, you know, I don't have my passport. I, I don't have any money. Um, but God said, come here and preach. He said, so uh, I guess I need to go preach. And he said, well, missionary said, what are you going to do? He said, well, I think what I'll do is go to the mayor of Bombay and talk to him and see if I can preach. And a lot of missionaries have tried to do that, Charles, and it hasn't worked so well. Uh, nobody's ever really been to get in and have an appointment with him. He said, well. So he went to the office. Um, he talked to the receptionist there. That afternoon, he gets a phone call from the mayor. He says, come in tomorrow and meet me, Charles. Charles comes in. Charles begins to talk to the mayor. And uh, the mayor is really impressed. I mean, he's got seven degrees, two of them doctorates. And he thought, well, he must know more than just a mere pastor. He must have some real intellect. He must be a person of some real importance. So in his honor, he decided he was going to have a luncheon and invite all of the leadership in Bombay, all the significant people he could think of, to come and to meet this man. So, guys, that's what happened. There was a luncheon that was planned. Charles McCoy came, and for 30 minutes, he preached the gospel with passion. And at the end of it, uh, there was a warmth. And there was this guy that came up to him, and he was a, be the equivalent of our West Point. It was their military academy. And he said, uh, Dr. McCoy, I was really impressed with what you had to say today. Would you come to the military academy and speak? Sure. So Charles McCoy went to the military academy and he spoke. And thus began a 16-year ministry in India to a guy who thought it's over, hadn't won too many people to Jesus. Not much has been accomplished in my life. I'm 72 years old. It's over. But there were 16 more years. There was a church founded there in Bombay that that came from his efforts and and, and from his faithfulness to to preach and, and, and to love people and to care for people. And then there was another... A fellowship of Christians in, in Hong Kong that also came out of that ministry. And it, it said for the next 16 years, he went wherever they asked him to preach and there was always somewhere to go. And here's the kicker, he never had money to get there. But he always got there. God would supply. 16 years later, at the age of 88, he was preparing to speak once again and he was in a motel. I reckon that it was just as close to heaven there as in Oyster Bay or as a retirement home somewhere down in Florida. He had no idea what God was about to do in his life. What looked like a retirement became a refirement. Amen. Now look, I'm not here to say God's going to do that exactly that, but what will he do? You see, as we're talking about the the gentle wrestling, as we're talking about the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and that's what I'm after. I'm not after just trying to convince you of something. I'm after the Holy Spirit to convict you of something and to convict me because it's not going to last if we convince, but it'll last if the Spirit of God convicts. That's what's needed. We need God to convict us of who he is and what we're here for and, and, and people that need him. And that's what we need. 
And, and maybe that urging just as simple as starting with, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with church. I know what church is about. But this connection you talk about, about hearing the, the gentle wrestling of the Spirit of God, the, the gentle whisper of, of being in tune with God, I don't really know what that's about. Well, it has to start with first bowing your life to Jesus Christ as the Savior and saying, God, I, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, enter my heart. Forgive me. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit sets up His home in your heart and, and He takes what has been defaced and not erased and He, he makes it right so that... You can hear His voice so that you can walk in His way, so that you can go in His strength. And, and, and that's what it's about. And, and maybe that's what He's saying to you. Maybe you're someone here who has never trusted Jesus. You've been more about religion than about a real relationship. Um, this time's for you. We're going to have time to respond. And, and maybe it's a time for you to come. There's others. And God's spoken to you this morning. He's telling you something. I don't know what. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But you do, because He's speaking. Hey, listen, I just want you to do whatever He's telling you. I want you to follow. He may want you to go across the world. He may want you to go across the street. Where does He want you to go? Hey, listen. When we all begin to hear His voice... It's a big church. Let's pray. Here we are, Lord. Speak for your servants listening. Think of those words of young Samuel. May they be my words. May they be the words of those here, God. What are you saying? What is that gentle wrestling, that gentle whisper? Oh, Lord, help us to hear and to follow, to come to the altar to pray if you, lie, if you lead us to um, come and to let me uh, pray with, uh, with that person that they might share with the body of Christ what you're up to. Or to simply where they are now, Lord, that person is now to, to go in obedience to where you're calling. Lord, you call us not just from sin but to righteousness. Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Hmm. That's the question, and Holy Spirit, you're the one with the answer. So work. May those inner promptings take hold. And may we say yes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.